The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. There's a position going for Senior Manager at Mark's Workplace. There's only one spot and Mark has applied for the position. Mark feels like he's got the expertise. And his goal during his working life has been to deliver excellent results. And Mark has through his strategy of daily, hard-focused work. Avita is relatively new to Mark's workplace. In fact, Mark has had a, has a bit of a role in training Victor up to bring him up to speed in working at the company. And Victor is going to go for the role as well. Mark misses out. Victor's got the job. In the post-interview feedback, Mark's told, your skills are excellent, you've got the expertise and the experience, Mark, but Mark, you don't sell yourself. Victor, he hasn't quite got your experience, but Victor's a go-getter. Better luck next time, Mark. What do you think? Should Mark change his goal and strategy at work so that he'll get a better result the next time round? In this series, we're looking at three tips to get a seat at the table. And today, tip number two, how to sit strategically. The context is that uh, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, in Jerusalem where the seats of power lie, and where Jesus will turn the whole idea of power on its head. And in Luke chapter 14, Jesus is in the company of religious leaders around the table enjoying a meal, and they're all thinking about strategic seating. The guests in verse 7 to 11, the hosts in verse 12 to 14. The guests are thinking strategically where to sit. The host of the meal is thinking strategically who to invite, who to get seated. Each has a goal. Each has a strategy. But what will the result be? Firstly, the guests and where to sit, verse 7. Jesus notices how his fellow guests are picking the places of honour at the table for themselves. He can see them jockeying for position. And seeing that, Jesus tells them a parable. A parable about a wedding. I love going to weddings. If you're getting married, please invite me to your wedding. (laughs) Whether it's a three-course entree, main and dessert, like the Western style, or even better, the 12-course Chinese banquet. I love weddings. Now imagine if you got invited to a wedding and the seating at this banquet was not allocated. This wedding was a choose-your-own-adventure type of wedding. First come, first serve, take whatever seat you want. Where in the banquet hall would you seat yourself? Which table would you choose if you had your pick? Jesus' fellow guests at this meal are picking the seats of honour for themselves. If it was a wedding, Jesus' guests 
they, the fellow guests with Jesus, they would be eyeing seats on the bridal table. If it was a prestigious school like the ones they have in England, you know, like Oxford or the Hogwarts School of Wizardry, they'd be seeking a seat on the top table, the high table, the table that's elevated above all the other guests. And what's the goal? The goal is honour. Honour for themselves. They are seeking their own honour and glory. If you were around in Australia in the 1980s and 90s, there was a firm called National Mutual, a financial services firm, firm which ran ads which struck a chord with all sorts of Australians. There were variations on their advertisements, from investing to provide for the education of your daughter to providing for your own retirement. But each advertisement from National Mutual ended with a memorable line. For the most important person in the world, you. These ads struck a chord with Australians. Similarly, I don't know if I pronounce this right, L'Oreal Paris? L'Oreal! L'Oreal Paris! The cosmetics company? No, I just need to sort the lady. L'Oreal Paris has run ads with women from Sybil Shepherd to Megan Gale to guys like Gerard Butler and Hugh Laurie and uh, superstars like Julianne Moore and Helen Mirren. They've run advertisements with this tagline. This tagline that struck a chord with people, not just in Australia, but worldwide. Because... I'm worth it. These ads have struck a chord because we like their message. I am important. I am worth it. Don't you think so? (laughs) The goal to seek your own glory and honour is justified because we think we are the most important person in the world. We think that we are worth it. And what's the strategy that we use to pursue this goal? It's self-promotion. To promote your personal brand. Have people told you to do that in your workplace? To sell yourself. To be a go-getter like Victor. You need to look after your own interests. No one else is going to do it for you. And you see this amongst the frequent flyers when you catch the aeroplane, this me-first behaviour. You know the people who either want to be the first on the plane, because they think they're the most important person in the world, or they want to be the last on the plane and get every the whole rest of the plane, the other two, three hundred people waiting for them because they're the most important person in the world. And when it comes time to getting off the plane, they want to be the first off the plane. And when they do get on the plane... They put all their paraphernalia across the uh, overhead cabins, taking up several of them, so that if you're late, you've got to put your luggage at your feet. And then, if you're sitting next to them, they want the armrest. (laughs) At work, you've got to pick your place in the office. Choose your seat. Whether you're in an open plan office. Who's in an open plan office? Or whether you're in a hot desk office. Who's in a hot desk office? Oh, not many of us. Well, City Bible Forum, we're about to do the hot desking. And 
I'd better not come to work late because I might be like, like that guy on my left. A box for a table and a bin for a chair. Or maybe in the traditional office where you can assert your value and your importance by gaining the corner office with the soft chairs and the awesome view. I'd love to have views over Hyde Park or the harbour. The strategy in verse 7 is to pick your place, to assert your importance. But this strategy comes with a warning in verses 8 to 9. Middle of verse 8, Jesus says, Don't take the place of honour, despite your sense of self-importance. Because a person more important, a person more distinguished than you, may have been invited. Then what might happen? Verse 9. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then instead of all eyes at the wedding feast being on you and you saying, yeah, look at me, look at me, aren't I special? All eyes will be on you and you'll turn the colour of beetroot in your humiliation and you'll say, please don't look at me. Because humiliated, you will move from the important place to the least important place at that wedding feast. Instead of sitting at the bridal table or the top table, you'll be sent to the kiddies table. The kiddies table where the entree will be chicken nuggets and if you're lucky, they'll give you a soft serve for your dessert. Or you'll be given a seat near the bathroom or a seat with the blasting speakers. Or maybe in the office, you'll be given a seat next to the never-ending photocopier or the bins or the microwave with everybody's lunch going and you can smell it all day. The recommended strategy, verse 10, that Jesus gives when invited to a wedding feast is to take the lowest place. So that when your hosts come, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place with this result that you'll be honoured in front of all the other wedding guests. Don't think so highly of yourself. Don't assert your own importance. Sit yourself at a back table. Just maybe the host will come and move you to a front table. Because, verse 11, Jesus teaches this great axiom Verse 11, all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. The goal to bring honour to yourself by asserting your own importance, exalting yourself, this can be played out in different spheres of life. Now, in the workplace where you want the limelight, you want the attention, like a peacock strutting around the office, keen to advertise how much new business you've brought to your firm, how many deals you've sealed, how many wins you've made to signal this is a valuable employee. Here is a valuable worker. But when retrenchments come, you can still be the first one out the door. And then in the religious sphere, where people want to bring honour to themselves and maybe subtly point out all the good they've done, how important they are in their local religious community, how involved they are, how devoted they are, 
exalting themselves in the sphere of religion. And we all know how ugly that can be for people to seek self-importance and significance through titles, through seeking glory for themselves in the religious sphere. Or even in the sphere of family life, when a member of the family, maybe you, gets really hurt when they realise they're not as important as they thought they were. Some occasion comes when they're trying to press their vital importance to the rest of the family. They desire this importance for their own sense of meaning and value. But then one day, they make some sort of threat to the rest of the family to withdraw what it is that whatever they contribute to the family. And then their pride, like a puffed up balloon, suddenly gets burst when the rest of the family says, okay, don't do whatever it is that you contribute to the family. And they are shocked. They're not as important and necessary to the family as they thought they were. Because, verse 11, all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And all those who humble themselves will be exalted. What is the net result? The net result of having this goal to bring honour through a strategy of promoting your own importance It may be short-term gain. It may be gain. All eyes are on you in the short term, in your time of glory. But in the long term, when you pursue self-interest and exalt yourself, all eyes will be on you when you inevitably get humiliated. Short-term honour for long-term humiliation. The net result is a loss. Conversely, Jesus' way, when you pursue humility, in the short term, you may stay in your humble circumstances and people might not notice you. But in the long term, Jesus promises you will be exalted. Sometime in the future, it might not be in this life. But the net result is gain, and this gain is worth pursuing. Having considered where to sit in verses 7 to 11, let's look at who to invite in verses 12 to 14. The host of a luncheon or a dinner party, you can read in verse 12, is also to think strategically. They're to think carefully about who to invite or who to seat at their party. Jesus says, verse 12, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends your brothers or sisters, or your relatives, or your rich neighbours with their beautiful pool. I'm a rich neighbour with um, a tennis court so I can go over and play tennis and have some miracles. Don't invite them. And Jesus is saying, not to show, that it's wrong. he's not saying that it's wrong to show hospitality to your friends and your family and your neighbours. Of course it's right to show hospitality to them. But the point he's making is the next bit of verse 12. If you do invite your friends, family, rich neighbours, they may invite you back. And when they invite you back, you'll be repaid. What's the goal of inviting these people who already like you? It may, whether consciously or unconsciously, be self-interest. Because we all know the rule of reciprocal hospitality. 
What's the strategy? The perverse strategy might be, even if it's unconscious, that if I invite you, one day you will return the favour and invite me back. And maybe, you know, when I invite you over to my place in Burwood, you can come over to my place and I'll feed you shake biscuits for an entree. You can taste my famous apricot chicken curry with rice and I'll get you my $5 cold salad. I'll get you some lime coil. And if you're lucky, I'll get you some Peter's vanilla ice cream. But in the hope that maybe you invite me over to your place, and when I come to your place, because you're such a good cook and generous, you'll give me caviar on whatever it is that you serve caviar on. <laughs> you'll give me lobster or Singapore chili mud crab and maybe um, a bottle of, is it Moe? Is that how I pronounce it, Moe? And creme brulee. And in that transaction, I would have won. You, what, what, you got one? Our relationships are consciously or unconsciously transactional. You treat me well and I'll return the favour. When it comes to Facebook, what's the, what's, the, what's the sort of thing that people do there? If you click like on five of my posts, I'll return the favour and click five likes on your post. Quid pro quo. When you come to my wedding and put $200 in the red packet as a gift for my wedding, then when I go to your wedding, I put exactly the same amount in a red packet to, as a gift for your wedding. And when it comes with who we are friends with, rich people will be friends with rich people so that when they exercise mutual hospitality, no one loses. And super rich people will be friends with super rich people, so when they exercise mutual hospitality, they don't lose out too. That's the strategy. But Jesus recommends a different strategy, verse 13. When you give a banquet, invite. Who are you to invite? When you give a banquet, who should you seat? Jesus says, invite the poor. Invite the crippled, invite the lame, invite the blind. And Jesus promises, verse 14, if you do that, you will be blessed. Although these people cannot repay you, they won't be able to do the whole reciprocal hospitality thing. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And what's the net result? If your goal is self-interest and your strategy is to restrict your hospitality and gift-giving to those who are likely to return the favour, you'll fork out some money when, to entertain your friends and your family and your rich neighbours, but you'll get it back. You'll get it back when they return the favour. The net result is that you'll be roughly even. However, if your goal is to give generously... And if your strategy is to open up your invitation list wide open and to deliberately show hospitality to the down and out, the poor, those struggling with life, those unlikely, unlikely to ever have the means to pay you back, in the short term, you might be out of pocket. You might be out of pocket a hundred bucks, a thousand bucks, tens of thousands of dollars. In the short term, you'll be out of pocket. But Jesus promises you 
that in the longer term, at the resurrection when God judges people, you will be repaid. And you'll be repaid by God himself. God, who is not stingy. The net result of this goal and strategy is gain. Well, having considered this passage, let me offer some reflections, then conclude how to sit strategically before I have a go at answering some of your questions. Now, firstly... Reflections from verses 7 to 11 and where to seek. Two points. Firstly, the goal of seeking your own honour and glory and the strategy to win it for yourself. I've got to admit that this is my way of living. This is my modus operandi. From being a little boy at school to being a working adult. This is the pattern of my life. In the pattern of my life, I don't think it's money that I've so much chased as honour and glory and respect for myself. And money, of course, can help. If I've got lots of money, I'll get the esteem and the glory and the honour from other people. But as a boy at school, as a student at university, chasing high marks would make my mum and dad and the rest of the Lou family proud. And when they go out for young child with other families, they would win me honour because they'd be able to boast about their, their son, their grandson. I'd gain glory and be able to assert importance through a high UAI. How silly and sad is that? But it's the same for other people, whether it's their success at sport or their good looks. I happen to have all three. <laughs> And I live the same way as a working adult. To seek the praise and cheap esteem and accolades through performance and promoting myself to others, what I've achieved. But Jesus teaches that self-interested goal and strategy, while it might yield short-term gain, will in the end lead to final humiliation. Verse 11, for all those who seek to exalt themselves will be humiliated, will be humbled. But those who humble themselves will be exalted. And what's the antidote? The second point, to pursue humility. But what is humility? Humility is to use whatever abilities and gifts and opportunities that you've been given to serve other people. Humility isn't to be good at something and to deny that you're good at it. So you can say, you know, I'm good at maths, I'm good with numbers, I'm good at Excel spreadsheets, I'm not. But imagine if I am. Humility would be, just say Roger Federer, he beat Djokovic recently, I think. Yes. Humility wouldn't be for Federer to say, oh, I'm only so-so at tennis. Humility would be Roger Federer to say, I'm good at tennis, and you know how I've got a backhand, I, I want to teach you how to... Let me give you a couple of tips about how to do a better backhand. To use the abilities that he's got to help to serve other people. Humility, if I was good at Excel spreadsheets, would be come to your desk and offer my services. Can I help you with a formula or whatever it is to add all those things in your column? Let me give you a hand. Let me help you for your good rather than for my pride. 
in summary, instead of serving your own self-interested honour to pursue humility. Well, reflections from the second half of the passage in verses 12 to 14 about who to invite. Also, two points. Firstly, doing good in one direction. In humility, thinking rightly and honestly about your strengths as well as your weaknesses and using whatever you have to do good and to do this good with whatever is at your disposal, your money, your abilities, your time, and to do it to people who will never pay you back for it. To do good in one direction. To deliberately serve the poor, the disadvantaged, and those who are unlikely to ever have the means to return the favour. Last night, as I was reflecting on this Bible passage, a friend of mine, Harry, texted me to say, Tor, I'm so self-obsessed, it terrifies me. What an unusual SMS to receive. And then he continued, Tor, please let me know how I can help other people so that I won't be self-obsessed. What a timely SMS from my friend Harry. Now this friend is bright and strong, but not working at the moment. So I was only happy, now I emailed him back, to suggest him to volunteer. Go volunteer with the Salvation Army, with Mission Australia, with, with Vinnie's who do the, the food bank. Now, secondly, contrary to the thinking of some people, we see from the second half of this passage that it's right to seek reward. It is right to seek reward. Some people think that the only pure good that we can do is when we seek no reward at all. But I don't think that's the case when we look at, when we look at Luke chapter 14. Rather, look at verse 11. The goal is still ultimate exaltation. And then look at verse 14. The goal is still blessing. With both of them, there is a reward. The only question is, who are we seeking the reward from? From whose hand do we want a reward? The unnamed character in all these verses, the unnamed character who will do the exalting in verse 11, the unnamed character who will do the blessing in verse 14, is God himself. If in self-interest I chase honour for myself, my reward may be to have the esteem of other people for a time. This is a temporary, measly reward. And yet how often is it that I live and chase this measly reward? If in self-interest I only do good to those people who return the favour, my reward will be when they return the favour. What a small, temporary, measly reward to live for. But if, however, I seek reward from God himself, then I'll say no to all these self-interested goals and strategies, and instead, yes, to humble service. How can I help other people with whatever God has given me? If I seek reward from God himself, then I'll practice liberal, one-way generosity. How are we to sit strategically? 
we're to adapt our strategy, our way of life, to the goal. Make it your goal to please the only person who really counts. All right, the first one that came across um, actually is two different people sent this one. It was actually something very similar. Um, is it wrong to be noticed, honored, or to be a go-getter? Is it wrong to be noticed, honored, or a go-getter? I think my, my first real experience of this was at a 21st birthday party of my friend, my friend Norman. And um, Norman at his 21st birthday had there must have been 100 people there. And he uh, methodically, one by one, uh, thanked people in his family. Uh, thank people who had contributed to him be, having, having the, the great life that he that he's got, and it was uh, such an honouring thing uh, for me as an audience, uh, as one of the audience, to see Norman do uh, to name people. Uh, and I think, I think you know, uh, honour is due uh, where where honour is yeah, deserved. Uh, I happen to follow the um, the Golden State Warriors who uh, won the NBA this year, and I only follow it because of my little um, nephew, um, and the, the, the most valuable player, Seth Curry. Um, I, I listened to his 40-minute uh, MVP speech, I think it was 40 minutes, on YouTube. And uh, Seth Curry uh, did the same thing as my friend Norman. Uh, he gave honour to the people who, for whom it was due. And you can see that the, the, the TV crew trying to put the, the lens onto the people that he was talking about. Uh, but uh, halfway through thanking someone, all of a sudden they turn, they turn it to, to another picture, uh, another face, because they got the wrong person. And why? Because the people he was thanking were the people who had bought all the equipment, uh, had done all the menial tasks that Steph Curry had noticed. And the media, why would they know them? They're no one special. Steph Curry, I love him, gave honour to the little people who had contributed to the, the success of the Golden State Warriors and him winning the MVP. Now, honour, honour, uh, and giving honour to those who, for whom it's due, uh, is a, a, a good and right thing. But uh, the, the message that we get uh, in this part of the Bible is that um, uh, to not seek it for yourself. The message that we get from this teaching of Jesus is to pursue humility and to pursue the interests of other people and to look for honour and reward from God himself. From God himself. Oh, I've forgotten all the other... That's okay. Here, here we go. All right, next question. If, if we don't look to be noticed or to stand up for ourselves at work, does that mean that we might just get walked all over or passed over unnecessarily? So um, if we don't draw, uh, if we don't, I don't know if, I think so. if we don't draw attention to ourselves at work, does this mean that uh, we might get taken advantage of and get walked over? Now this whole thing about humility is not about being letting other people walk all over you. It's not about being a doormat. Uh, the ultimate example of humility that we've got in the teaching of the Bible is Jesus Himself. In the first talk I gave, uh, you may not have been here, but uh, I think it's on, it's on tape on the citybibleforum.org website if you want to uh, hunt it down. 
where Jesus has been cornered, when he's been set up by all the important, powerful people of the day, the religious people, and he doesn't give in to them. Instead, he turns the tables on the setup that he's been put in. The teaching of the Bible is that Jesus, who's got all the power of God in human flesh, and yet he doesn't use his power to assert himself, but he uses his power to help other people. But nonetheless, he's never a pushover. Uh, humility isn't about us um, denying the things that we're good at. Uh, the Bible speaks about having uh, a sober mind about your abilities. I love it when people um, do this the right way, when they, they're, they're quite straightforward about the things that they're good at. And they're quite straightforward about the things that they're not good at. But what, what's the true mark of humility? It's not denying the things that they're good at. It's about, with the things that they're good at, using that to help other people, and with the things that they're not good at, being willing to ask for help. Actually, sometimes uh, the person who's unwilling to ask for help, I think I'm in this category, it's because of a lack of humility that I'm willing to ask for help. It's because of my pride, I think, that I don't want other to tell you that I need to help. I want to be self-sufficient. Uh, yeah, so uh, humility is not about being a doormat, uh, but humility is about the heart attitude of using whatever you've been given to serve other people. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city, or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.